This is Let's Talk Synesthesia, the podcast where I, Micah, psychologist and synesthesia artist, meet scientists and synesthetes from around the world to explore the fascinating world of synesthesia. So come along and let's meet today's guest. Welcome back, everybody listening. We're back in the virtual Synesthesia podcast studio, and I'm with a very special guest today, someone who was introduced to me by Caitlin Hover, who we've heard on the last episode, and also by a, a couple other people. I heard a lot about you. So with me is Sean A. Day today. Hi. Hello. Nice to be here. Wonderful. Thank you for taking the time to be here. Quite delighted to be quite delighted to do this. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you. So you are the founding president of the International Association for Synesthetes, Artists and Scientists. Yes. You were also involved in the American Association for Synesthesia. And besides that, you are a anthropology professor, educator, musician, and synesthete which is a very important aspect. All, things, all those things, yes. <laughs> Good. Was that a comprehensive introduction to what you do? Um, that's, that's, that's some of the things I do, yes. Okay, perfect. Well, you can edit in a second because we always start asking three questions. And the question number one is, who are you? And you can just add whatever you want to add. I'm a anthropologist with a PhD in anthropological linguistics, but more recently, especially in the last 10 years, most of my focus is on neuroscience. I'm also a synesthete, and I have been searching for other synesthetes to talk to for over 50 years now, trying, wow. to, track, trying to track down other synesthetes and learn about their synesthesia which is part of the reason why I got into anthropology in the first place, to interview and talk with other people, to learn about the differences between myself and other people. And that was also the reason why you started the International Association, I guess. Yes. I wanted to learn more about synesthetes all around the world and see whether there was differences based upon culture, based upon languages, based upon different kinds of life experiences. The second question is, where are you from and where are you recording from? I'm currently, like right now, I'm in Somerville, South Carolina, in the United States. I've lived here for almost 20 years. A different perspective on where I'm from, I was born in Michigan. In the United States and grew up in Michigan and Indiana. I've lived in other places for short periods of time, including living in, in Taiwan and living in the Caribbean. Taiwan is a very good segue because we will talk about that in a bit. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> the third question is, what forms of synesthesia do you have? And do you remember when you came across the term synesthesia or when you notice that you have these experiences? Okay. Bunch of different questions there. Okay. <laughs> I, have, I have three different types of synesthesia. For me, the timbres of different musical instruments each produce a different color 
and what I see is projected out in front of me. So not only do I perceive a color, but it also looks like it's made out of something. So you could, for example, name a particular musical instrument, and I could tell you what I see when I hear that instrument. Almost every flavor of food also produces colored, shaped, visual objects out in front of me. And then also for about 70 or 80 different odors, they also produce colored shapes out in front of me. And I I do know that the, there's, there's a difference between the flavor and the odor because I've tested this. And cert, say, certain things, the odor produces one color or shape, the flavor produces something different. And is the quality and like is colors textures forms the material they're made of are they similar over all three forms no not at all really Uh, what i see for music is see-through it's kind of like um tinted glass or cellophane or something like that uh but uh but also since music is dynamic and music and moving what I see for music is also moving around, coming forward, back, three-dimensional or such. But I can, beyond it, it's sort of like looking through colored glass. Right? What I see for flavors and odors, those are solid, and I can't see through them. But they only last for about three or four seconds and then break up real fast. Wow. Among, so among other things, this means that I can listen to music while I'm driving my car, and it's like driving with a constantly changing tinted windshield. But I never, ever eat or drink anything when I'm driving. Oh, that is a fascinating fact. Okay. So you wouldn't have one of these trees hanging in your car that make the car smell nicer? No. Oh, no. No. Because No chewing gum for you? No. Nothing like that, because I, there have been times when I'm when I was driving where I drove past something with a very strong odor, and I actually I had to pull my car over and wait. Like there, there was one time where where I had to wait about an hour and drive very slowly to get past where the odor was, because I couldn't see where I was going. Wow, so it's that strong. It can be that strong. So you're projecting for all three forms, but yes. for the music thing, it's more it's transparent, and for the other ones, it's like really blocking your eyesight. Yes, but usually only for a few seconds. But, yeah. But with the odors, if the odor's strong and, and continues to be there, it will continue to block my vision. Yeah, I can imagine if you like pass a, a large field where they do farm work on the field and like that's what it was (laughs) there was another time where where it was a skunk what's that a a skunk one one of those small black and white mammals that produces a really really strong odor i i I forget what the word is in german stinktier yeah (laughs) it's really just called stink animal Very descriptive. Yep. Wow. I wasn't aware of uh, the extent your odor, synesthesia. 
you can be that strong. So is there any way, is there a neutral smell? Like, could you have a neutral something in your car and, and occupy your nose with that? The thing about odors is that you get saturated with odors anyway, so that you don't, it's like eventually you don't even notice them anymore. Like, for example, I would doubt that you're even noticing the smell coming from your computer that you're sitting in front of right now. Your computer has a smell. You're so used to it, you don't even notice anymore that your computer has a smell. So it's like the same about like when I'm in my car There's, I mean, or, or, or other places like where I am right now. I'm so used to the smell, saturated, it doesn't affect me. But if some new odor were all of a sudden to come in, I might see that. And what is it like to go to a perfume store? Just awful. Oh, perfume stores can be fun sometimes. Okay. Right? And when I was younger, one of my favorite things was to go to like shopping plazas, malls or whatever, and go into the great big department stores to the area where the perfumes were. It was sort of odd for me to go on into a perfume and ask to smell certain perfumes but I would because there were certain perfumes I just loved the colors. I don't do that as much anymore. But it's like every once in a while I might. For example, if I go grocery shopping, I try to avoid the aisle in the grocery store that has the detergents, like clothes detergents, dishwashing detergents, things like that, because some of those colors that I see are just so bright and glaring and really bothering. That makes me really, really interested to hear what your take is on, is projecting close to hallucination? Is it a hallucination or not at all? Synesthesia is, projected synesthesia is not a hallucination because there's there's an an essential difference between a a hallucination and synesthesia. With, With synesthesia, you have to have an inducer that is actually really out there. There has to be an like an odor or a flavor or the sound of music out there in order for you to have synesthesia. Also, if it's congenital synesthesia, it's like if you're born that way, the synesthetic perception will be consistent. For instance, the flavor of coffee always makes me see the same thing. The sound of a saxophone always makes me see the same thing. It's all it's been the same for over 50 years. Now, with a hallucination, there is no inducer. If you're seeing something, you're just seeing something. There isn't it isn't being caused by a sound or an odor or a flavor or such. It's just suddenly there. Also, with hallucinations, um, it depends upon the situation. With some hallucinations, you're seeing basically about the same thing all the time. But about half the time with hallucinations, it's not consistent. You're seeing, like from one time to the next to the next, you're seeing something different. Also, I mean, people talk about hallucinations in terms of seeing something, but most hallucinations are auditory. You're hearing something instead of seeing something. I had a discussion, <laughs> like a very interesting discussion with a neuroscience professor last week, and he insisted a bit on the idea that it could be a hallucination. And um, I couldn't really 
explain it, but what I'm really, really sure of is that what I experience in my projecting synesthesia, that it's not a hallucination, but I was a bit lacking words because it's it's quite hard still to describe what's going on. But I think you, you made a good point here, yeah. For, for making the, the distinction, I would still go on back to reading Oliver Sacks's book. The English title is Hallucinations. It still remains probably the best, most coherent explanation of what hallucinations are. Use that as a basis for what the difference between hallucinations and synesthesia are. Great. Thank you for that tip. So the topic we wanted to focus on today, or at least I wanted to focus on it, because I wasn't aware of it until less than a year ago, that people can lose their synesthesia and regain it. So we have an expert here with you because you've experienced exactly that. The forms you just described, you lost them and they came back. So if you don't mind just sharing your story of what happened in Taiwan. Okay, I'm back from about 1977 to 2001. My wife and I lived in... Taiwan, or on Taiwan, the Republic of China. I was there because I had a position at a university there in Taiwan teaching English and linguistics and such, a little bit of anthropology. During the time that I was there, in September of 1999, Taiwan experienced one of the biggest earthquakes in its recorded history, the Chichi earthquake. 7.3 on the Richter Richter scale. It was a huge earthquake. And where my wife and I were living, we were on the 17th floor of an an apartment building. So we very much felt that earthquake. And it was absolutely terrifying to be like that high with the building shaking and such. We could see cracks forming on the ceiling and the walls and running across the walls and such. Uh, We were absolutely petrified with with fear. It resulted in me having post-traumatic stress disorder for years after that, flashbacks and all that. And the the stress caused me to lose my synesthesia, all all three forms. They were just totally gone so that music, flavors or such produced nothing. This lasted for about four months, where I had no synesthesia at all. Now, the thing here to note is that I was so concerned with the earthquake and the stress. And after the earthquake, there were epidemics of typhoid and hepatitis, cholera. It was a major cholera epidemic. And so I was so concerned with that that I didn't care that I had lost my synesthesia. I was like just too depressed, too stressed out with other things. I knew that I had lost my synesthesia. That was quite obvious from like even that day of, of the earthquake. Uh, very obvious within the next couple of days that I wasn't experiencing synesthesia. I didn't care. I didn't start caring about it all until about four months afterwards. But a few days after I started missing my synesthesia, 
it started coming back. But it came back very, very slowly over the course of about four or five more months, very gradually, until it took about four or five months before it was back to full to full power like it was before the earthquake. Not only do I know of my case of losing congenital synesthesia, but as I mentioned, part of what I do is to go on out and try to find other synesthetes. So I am aware of a number of other cases of people losing and regaining or just permanently losing their synesthesia. That can also happen. So it's where it doesn't come back. There are a couple of cases of that too. Thank you so much for sharing your story. It must be a horrible thing to go through. And I think it's it, it gives us great insight on how synesthesia works and how the brain works. We spoke about that when we were on a call last time, that it makes us see that the biochemistry, when you experience stress, depression, PTSD, the biochemistry of the brain changes, but uh, yeah. not the brain structure. Right. With with congenital synesthesia, it's like if you're born that way, then it's like your brain is structured and it's not like suddenly major connections in your brain are going to suddenly alter and change. Exactly. But, right, but the chemistry can change very fast, it's like in a matter of just minutes or so. Now, we don't know everything about what all biochemistry is involved, but one of the things that's being researched and a little bit of what we do know is that for a, for a person's serotonin levels, and we do know that for some people, stress and depression can change, can significantly change serotonin levels. So, yeah. uh, so that's, that's part of what we're looking at. We also know that uh, certain drugs like LSD or what magic mushrooms can alter serotonin levels for some people. So that's why a drug like LSD might temporarily produce synesthesia. Yeah, so that's very interesting because I started taking SSRI last year and my synesthesia got way less. Yes, because those drugs affect, along with affecting other things, they affect serotonin levels. Exactly. I don't, yeah, I don't exactly know (laughs) what happened in my brain before and after, but yeah, that's what I noticed. It just, especially during the night, now that I have the SSRI, it's a lot less. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate that. Sorry. (laughs) That's another thing that we're also seeing is that if we're looking at serotonin levels, it's very difficult to make a general statement about them because it can be very different for for different people. Serotonin is usually a factor, or it's it's often a factor, but how it factors can be very different from one person to the next person to the next person. So in your case, you suffered from the stress reaction of a traumatic event, and that obviously altered your the chemistry in your brain. And it took you a couple months to recover from that and to heal, at least in this part of your PTSD. So uh, your brain was that close back to normal that the synesthesia could come back. Yeah. So uh, apparently, I mean, that's that seems to be the explanation, especially if I look at 
how it eventually did come back. Yeah. And you know other people who experienced something similar, but you said some people, for them also, it didn't come back at all. Well, for people who lose their synesthesia due to stress, I don't know of any cases where it hasn't come back. Stress, post-traumatic stress disorder and such like that. Um, all the cases that I know of, the synesthesia eventually did come back. Sometimes it took about two or two and a half years, but 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 it did. And I know of, of cases, for example, like the destruction of the World Trade Center in New York City and uh, some synesthetes were witness to that and lost their synesthesia or their synesthesia drastically altered because of that. Uh, I know of a couple of synesthetes who were rape victims, and that caused them to lose their synesthesia for a couple of, uh, for a year or more. There are other cases. There are other types of situations. There was a congenital synesthete who say, saw colors for different sounds, who experienced um, some type of major concussion. And we don't know exactly just what the brain damage was. But here, here what you've got is a change to the anatomy, a change to the connective structures instead, yeah. of, instead of chemistry. And with that change to the structures because of, of concussion, he permanently lost his synesthesia. Yeah. And that also goes the other way around, that people mm -hmm. after a brain injury or a surgery acquire synesthesia yes this can also happen and we have cases on record of that too i know i know for example of a teenage girl who experienced a severe concussion her head hit the sidewalk or something like that very severe uh, and it resulted in her then having two or three different types of synesthesia which she's had for the rest of her life or so there are a few cases like that there's also temporary cases where somebody might acquire synesthesia because of a brain injury or a stroke or a concussion. They might have synesthesia for a week or two, and then it will go away. Yeah, we spoke about that one of the very first episodes, and it must be a really disturbing new experience if nobody educates you on that and you, you didn't know anything about synesthesia. It can I don't know. I think it can cause a lot of shame, like also the feeling of, am I turning crazy? And, and like thoughts like that. But that's something that I try to convey to people. Is that if you take somebody who's 40 years old, who has never experienced any type of synesthesia before, but then has a concussion or such or a stroke and suddenly is experiencing colors for music. It can be absolutely frightening. As you said, they might think they're going insane, crazy. They know that they've had a brain injury or such, uh, but, but along the same lines. If you have somebody who's 40 years old who has never experienced synesthesia, who for one reason or another takes LSD for the first time and experiences synesthesia, that might also be really scary. Yeah. I guess when you take LSD, you you kind of can do a bit of research before and you can have a bit more of an expectation what might happen. I think it's more of an of a choice. But yes. if you 
if you get educated on your brain injury on the operation and how the recovery will be and then you have this other thing completely mm -hmm. unexpected rolling over you and yes which is great which is one of the reasons why i try to promote the idea of medical doctors surgeons and such like that being familiar with the possibility of synesthesia amongst their patients but you also mentioned educating yourself about LSD. Yes. Although it's one thing if you educate yourself and make the decision yourself. It's another thing if somebody drugs you. Yeah. It's another thing if you are not aware that you have taken LSD or one of these other drugs until you find Absolutely. out the hard way. Didn't think about that. That. Can, that can be that can be very frightening. Yes. Oh, I can't even imagine. Yeah. Mm. Wow. I, there was another thing I wanted to ask you. Oh, yeah. I wanted to ask about your odor and taste synesthesia again. Do you have any taste example or odor example of something that's really good or really bad? Oh, everybody asks for really good or really bad things. Okay, the no, most no, average one. I'll do really good and really bad. As far as bad flavor, color, things like the one that's obvious to me is like just about any type of diet cola, like diet, okay. diet but in the field of what I see and off to the upper left, sort of like up in the upper left-hand corner, there, there will be an area of really ugly yellow. <laughs> it's just like a very horrid-looking, ugly yellow color. <laughs> and so I just say, I don't drink any type of diet cola because I just can't stand that color. What, sorry, what about the smell of Diet Coke? The smell of Diet Coke doesn't bother me at all. Oh, um, interesting. Okay. It's, or not much, because there's the main smell from that is the same smell as regular colas. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm not I'm, I'm not picking up too much of a difference in the odor there. The colors that I see for the smell of a Diet Coke or cola or so are mainly dark blue. I'm not seeing that patch of yellow unless I really, really take uh, it's like a heavy smell and search for that yellow. But if I take a sip, it'll be right there. There's, Man. I, I mentioned beforehand that I know the difference between the colors for odors and the colors for the flavors. One of the ways I, I know this is not only have I smelled like opium perfume, and not only have I smelled gasoline, and not only have I smelled mown grass, I've also tasted it. So, mm. Right. Delicious. I, like I've tasted gasoline. And when As I your saw, own study to find out yes. the difference? Yeah, yes. cool. Right. Okay, and so, right. and what and did I, you learn? I've tasted mown grass. And what I see, for example, for the flavor of gasoline is a lot different and a lot more complex than what I see for just the odor of gasoline. Ah, mm -hmm. there's a lot more colors. There's a lot more going on in the flavor of gasoline. Wow. Yeah. I've also tasted perfumes. Yeah. They don't taste. It can't be a very good experience, but I guess it's it's nice. To, <laughs> it's nice to have that kind of study for yourself. Yeah, I can do it. Why not? 
I did a bit of a uh, online research on other people, well, of course, other people's synesthesia, that's what I do on a daily basis. But also since we wanted to talk about what it is like to lose it and, and acquire or regain your synesthesia, I was looking into like Reddit. Yeah, people were describing a lot of different experiences, why and how they lost their synesthesia. And also about, is it a blessing or a burden? And I also found a video or an interview you gave a couple of years ago about the question we get a lot as synesthetes of whether we want to keep it or not like is it is it nice to have synesthesia or not and I really like what you said in that interview was you have a sense of smell and you Mm -hmm. will smell (laughs) bad smells because that's we live in a like complex world there will be a lot of different odors around us but that doesn't mean I want to lose my sense of smell I still use that example sometimes. If you have a normal sense of smell, it's like sometimes you smell like your favorite home-baked cookies or fresh-baked bread, beautiful smells. But you've also smelled things like, for example, uh, vomit ah. and uh, what dog manure. Yeah. And you smell these extremely unpleasant things. Do you want to get rid of your sense of smell? Because well, your sense of smell means that you've smelled extremely terrible things. But your sense of smell means that you've smelled extremely wonderful, beautiful things. Do you want to keep or get rid of your synesthesia? There are some people for whom their synesthesia is more of a problem than not. There's other people who uh, their synesthesia is still mainly a delight. For most people who say with congenital synesthesia, for most people, that's just how things are. It's not. It's not a question of. I mean, it's not really even a question of whether you want to keep it or or, or get rid of it. That's who you are, what you are, and how things are. Yeah, exactly. It's who you are and how things around you are, yeah. and I think that brings us back to how terrible it can be to lose your synesthesia. I think the only thing we can settle on in this complex topic <laughs> is it's we know it happens. Mm-hmm. We have tracked cases of losing synesthesia, regaining synesthesia, or acquired synesthesia after a brain surgery, but we cannot at all say what about it is good, what about it is bad, who wants to keep it, who wants to not keep it. Why is it nice that some forms come back even stronger or mild, more mild? And all the stories I read about all these sorts of experiences differ so, so, so much. One of the things about humans, humans are humans. People are people, which means that they're different. Yeah. So, right. It's, 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 never, it's never wise to overgeneralize. Yeah which is one of the reasons why I still continue exploring synesthesia because there's, a, there's always going to be something new that bursts the bubbles of preconceptions. Oh yeah, 100%. That's so true. The complexity of this topic is just... There's always something new. Like you just have to be ready to listen to someone's experience without, yeah, without the things you already know about people, like, because it can be so completely different to the next person you speak with. Yes. 
it's a, there's a difference between being, say, being scientific, doing your research, being, being skeptical. There's a difference between that and being dismissive. Oh, for sure. Yes. So. Wonderful. But before we wrap it up, I wanted to talk about the International Association. If, is there anything coming up, anything you want to share with uh, our listeners? I also told you about the Synesthesia Awareness Day happening on the 2nd of July, where Stephen and I are working on a panel. So that might be something where people can get to know you virtually, at least. So. Yeah. Uh, yes, I I do want to join that Synesthesia Day panel if I can and say participate in that. As far as the international association, the IASAS, we're exploring possibilities. We're looking for potentially someplace in either the United States or Canada for our next conference, but we're very open to other possibilities as far as like a hosting institute. Meanwhile, we're trying to organize small-scale video conferences, and we're looking at collaborating with various institutes toward doing that. We're, we've only just started building a couple of those, but we do have plans for putting together at least a couple more video conferences within the next year. Right now, We don't have anything actually scheduled or planned, but putting it the other way, we have plans to create something, at least one video conference within the next two years. The IASAS has a tradition, has a policy of their conferences always being free. It's always free. There's no membership dues. You don't have to be a member of the association. And uh, there's no what, conference fee in order to, that you have to pay in order to participate in the conference. So oh, that's wonderful. Once it, so once we finally have something, then there will be a broadcast announcement about it. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for this inspirational conversation. I learned so much from you. Oh, let's say thank you for inviting me. This is what I do and this is what I enjoy doing. So thank you. Oh, we didn't even cover the the question of what you've observed in like cultural differences, but maybe I'll just bring you back in a couple of weeks and we can speak about that a bit more. Okay. If, if, if you want to, we can, I mean, this is not a one-shot deal. We say, if you want to, we can do this again another time. Yeah, I would love that. I'm highly interested in that. I definitely want to learn more about that. And it also gives me a bit more time to observe what I can see in cultural differences in the people I meet. So yeah. I think that would be a wonderful thing to do. Okay. Cool. One last thing I have to tell my listeners is please take a couple seconds of time to give the podcast a review on whatever platform you're listening and click on follow or share with a friend or a synesthete or whoever <laughs> being human qualifies you to listen to the podcast. So it helps me out a ton. Um, and it helps me keep the content coming because it's a lot of work to produce a podcast. And yeah, I appreciate every single person listening and every single person sharing and reviewing the podcast. Good. That was my little speech. <laughs> <laughs> 
okay, Sean, it was lovely to talk to you. Thank you so, so much. And we'll hear from you on another episode and at the panel for the Synesthesia Awareness Day in July. Make sure that you send me a link to that. I will for sure yeah. loop you into all of the planning and, and ideas we have. Okay. Thank you so much. Have a lovely day. Yes, you too. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Let's Talk Synesthesia. There will be a new episode of Series 1 every Tuesday. If you enjoyed listening, you can like, follow and share. Details about the podcast and how to connect with today's speakers can be found in the show notes. The executive producer was Micah Pricing with music by Corin Anderson and the podcast was supported by a couple more neurodivergent people in the background. See you next week.